Ron and Anian. What's this guy all about? Is he nuts? Is he sane? Is he somewhere in between? <laughs> The Car Doctor. The repair moral here is always look for the basics. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Like my college professor always said, always go for the basics. Always go for simple. Of course, whenever he said go for simple, everybody would look at me. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. Here's Ronnie. It's time to start your engines, and if they don't, it's time to tune in to me, Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor, for the next two hours as we broadcast out over these affiliates and these airwaves talking to you about your car and its problem. So uh, sit down and uh, let's uh, talk about it. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. If your engine doesn't start or if it runs but it doesn't run right, this is the place to be. 855-560-9900. Had breakfast this morning. As you usually do in the morning, although, you know, sometimes night runs into morning and that becomes a different conversation. But I had breakfast this morning at the deli in Franklin Lakes that I always go to. And you've heard me talk about it. We've had this conversation before, you and I. And I saw my friend Tom. And you know, the nice thing about the Franklin Lakes Deli, the country cafe as it is, is it's it becomes a... Um, you know, it's kind of like the Cheers of North Jersey. It's It's that place where everybody knows your name. And, you know, you get to know people and you're not quite sure of anybody's last name, but you know them by sight and sort of what they do or don't do. And it's just a nice meeting place. And I had breakfast with Tom and I was sitting at the counter actually, you know, having my breakfast. Tom showed up and we were talking and he said, what are you going to talk about on the show today? And I said, well, I'm going to talk about car count because I think car count is something that might be of interest to the listeners. And he said, what's car count? And I have to tell you, I because uh, you can imagine my week. Somewhere around Thursday, people start bumping into me here and there, and they're, you know, what are you going to talk about this weekend? And I've, I've been mentioning this to people all along. Nobody knows what car count is. Nobody under, Nobody's ever heard the term. It's it's like I'm talking about, you know, a movie star being president. Well, wait, that's actually been done. But, you know, as far as, as far as, you know, it's just a foreign term. Car count or car counting is a process by which some repair shops, dealership, chain store, independent, will look at how many cars they see coming in the door on a daily basis and then maximize that return. So it's basically a sales quota. Yeah, the auto industry has sales quotas. Imagine that. There's something you didn't know. Um, If you didn't know that, then you probably don't know who's president. Good luck. So... Car count, and here's the danger of it, and this is why I wanted to talk about it, because I'm noticing an uptick from repair facilities that want to make you a number and not a name. And I've talked about this before. It seems that we're we're all, everybody's car is on the recall. Heck, my plow truck's got three recalls on it, but I just, they're all not important to me at this point. And as a matter of fact, 
the one that I'd like to get done, they don't even have parts for it yet. And there's no predicted release date for parts, and it's been like that for about seven months. But the idea is I'm seeing an awful lot of cars going in for recalls, and they're coming out with estimates for things that they don't need. And what sort of got me thinking about car count once again was, and this is another edge to this story, I explained to Tom and now I explained to you, is I saw the man from Hunter Wheel Alignment this week. We use a Hunter Aligner and a Hunter Balancer and Tire Machine. And uh, Jeff came in and we were just having a casual conversation. We are making some upgrades to some of the equipment in the shop. And he he brought it up and he said it and he didn't even realize he'd said it. He was telling me about, you know, Hunter Wheel Alignment has a system where you drive into the service bay, and as you drive over it to bring the car into the service rider, it automatically checks the wheel alignment. And, you know, that's great. Listen, in some situations, I think that really has a has a, a lot of, you know, a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense, and it has a real good place. But what Jeff told me was, he says, but what they don't even realize is, he said, and I know this when I go in to service it, is that car, that machine is actually giving me a car count. It tells me how many times a car drove over it. So I can actually tell you what the car count is of any repair facility using this on a given day. And he goes, I'm surprised that they don't use that information to keep track of what's going on in the bays. You know, data is everywhere and information is everything. And the car companies, the manu- not the manufacturers, but the dealers and the chain stores, and like I said, bigger independent shops, all seem to be very interested in car count. There are articles written about it. They want to know how many cars are coming into the bays because they want to know where the sweet spot is. They want to know, you know, where do you stop? Is 12 cars a day too, too many? Or is 12 cars a day four short of what the shop could actually repair? Because they're trying to calculate hours. How many hours a day can a technician work? How many can he produce? And how many can they charge for? Here's what got me. I noticed that every car that goes in for these recalls, you guys are coming out with estimates that range everywhere in price from $1,500. I saw one for $9,000 for repairs on on a six-year-old car. Are you kidding me? So let's, you know, let's average it off. Let's say, let's say three grand is is the average estimate given out. And every time I look at one of these cars that came in and it was, you know, something for a recall and it was based on, hey, we've got this guy in the door, let's try and sell him something. Every time I look at one of these cars, it needs a third of what they're actually predicting. And it may not even need that much. So I sat and I thought to myself, I should do some car counting of my own. If they take if they see 10 an hour, if one service writer sees 10 an hour and they sell two out of those 10 and they're $3,000 a piece, that's $6,000 an hour of repair work that really wasn't needed or may not be needed or, you know, wasn't expected by the consumer. And some of it may be legitimate, but in a lot of cases it's not. So how much is that repair shop selling that doesn't need to be sold? You know, it's funny when you sit in the management classes for for the auto industry, there's an awful lot of talk of making sure you maximize your profit, maximize your dollars and sell that car everything that it needs. But you know what? Some people aren't interested in selling and buying everything that it needs. Some people aren't interested in continually maintaining a vehicle. 
and it's an awful big waste of time. And it also gives the industry a bad name because everybody gets the perception that all mechanics are really about is fixing cars and making money. I want to fix cars. Money's just part of how I do it. I had a car this week. I had a 2006 Mazda 3 that the customer brought in. And I, I haven't seen Jerry in a while. It's been uh, seven, eight years. And I'm not sure what brought him back. I'm not sure why he left in the first place. All I know is he was there. And it was, I want to keep this car forever. I want to drive this car another three, four years. I want to get another 100,000 miles out of this car. Okay. What services would you recommend? And I ran through a list. We did a checklist and came up with, you know, here's some legitimate things the vehicle needs. Not just trying to make a sales quota, not just utilizing a car count, but, you know, here's legitimate things this 10-year-old 100,000-mile Mazda needs. Fluids, filters, ignition. Um, it's got some issues with trans-cooler lines rotting out. It needs those replaced and repaired. And, you know, we go ahead, do what you got to do. And I got about three-quarters of the way through it, and I needed one more piece. And in talking to Jerry, he said, oh, you know, I just found out my my sister is going to be giving up her lease car, and I might be leasing the car, and I wish I had known that. I wouldn't have had you fix this one. There's no point in fixing this one now. I got to tell you, it deflated me. It really made me feel unimportant. And I guess that's my stuff, right? But my point is, and I consider myself a good mechanic, I take a lot of pride in fixing a car. You know, I replaced the battery on this car that was so badly corroded. As a matter of fact, if you, uh, you know what, I'll have to post those up on Facebook. I don't think I've done that yet, but some battery cables that were so corroded on the inside that I had to peel back the negative strap and, and make a battery cable because the battery cables on this particular Mazda are part of the wiring harness for $700, which is another conversation. Maybe we'll talk about that second hour. But my point is, you know, you just felt the enthusiasm drain out of you. I like fixing cars. I think it's something I'm good at. I think I just happened to be in the right place at the right time when they were handing out the gene pool. <laughs> and, you know, I, I ended up being able to fix cars. Uh, you have to make money. You've got to make a profit. You've got to be able to afford to be there. But car count and counting cars, you know, counting cars for the sake of just counting cars to know what to sell and try to sell and do the upsell and be weary, be aware, all right? It's... um. It's, it's a subject that we don't broach much because people don't like to talk about it. Dealerships and independents and chain stores that utilize car counting definitely don't like to hear about it. It's sort of taboo. It's, um, it's just not a good topic to really discuss on radio or any place in the media. So just something to be aware of. If you want to read more about it and see what these guys are doing and some of the classes, because there's a whole industry dedicated to it, just Google car count. Just two words, C-A-R-C-O-U-N-T. Google it and, and see what comes up in all the management programs and, you know, how they try to make sure the customer's car is repaired and they extract every dollar they can out of it. So um, just something to make you aware of. And as I closed out that conversation with Tom back at the deli, remember that's how this started? He said, you know, I never heard the term. He goes, but now I'll be more aware when I go into my repair shop. And that's why I do this radio show. Because I got one guy to understand something and make a better consumer out of him and a better vehicle owner. And that's what I want to do with you. 855-560-9900. Stick around. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. We're coming back right after this. Here I come. 
I forgot. This is the Valentine's Day edition of The Car Doctor. Now I get the whole theme. Oh, boy. Okay. Ron and Andy, The Car Doctor. Yeah. All you need now is some Barry White music and the red light. I, I can tell what's coming we up got next. Barry White right here, so I, we're all set. I, I can tell what's coming up next. Remember when we went to Vegas? You know, as a, And we'll have to keep this clean for the sake of family radio, but we should tell <laughs> this story. But we were sitting out in SEMA. Did we ever tell you this story, folks? But we were out at SEMA. Because, what, two years ago? We're, yeah. out at, we're out at SEMA at the Venetian having breakfast. And this is when Bosch OTC brought us out there to do the radio show from the booth that day. And Steve Zach, and I love Steve to Steve, death. Steve said he was a ladies' man. Yeah, Steve said he was a ladies' man. And we were like, okay, so when you, you're setting the mood right, do you have some Barry White music in and, the background And he playing? said, who's Barry White? And like, how can you be a romantic Did, man? You don't know who Barry White right, is. Right, because Barry White's the man. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was, um, that was and actually the words were a little more colorful at that right, breakfast. This is a, a G-rated family-oriented show, and we show. Can't use that type of um, language. Even the waitress, you know, yes, from Vegas, the waitress kind of did a double take, and You're she's like, like "Who are you, you? You don't know who Barry White is? <laughs> oh, whew, boy, that was just—I'll uh, never forget that. That was funny. He'll never live that down. Anyway, this is the Car Doctor. We do a bunch of things here, folks. It's um eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Let me point out also: there's podcasting of this radio show at CarDoctorShow.com, as well as TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, and please make sure if you have the ability if your player if your podcast player gives you the option please click subscribe because maybe you want to listen to us every week i'm not really sure after this opening but um i forgot this is the valentine's day radio show so uh without any further ado let's kick the garage doors open let's go to mike Danella, new jersey mike welcome to the car doctor sir how can i help i don't think i can top the barry white thing ron yeah, well tr- don't try mike i'm telling you, know you it I mean? was, you had to you had to be there get for the voice it way down low yeah it was gotta get the voice way down low baby Come I, here, you I, know. I i can't listen to barry white anymore without thinking of steve it's just it ruins the whole mood so uh, it, i'm sorry uh, it defeats sorry. the purpose listen let, let's move on to stuff we know about yeah absolutely um, okay sir um Notice all these new turbo motors coming out from GM with the new Vision, and uh, Kia's coming out with a Soul Turbo. Nissan's got the uh, Sentra Turbo. Uh, I was just reading a couple of articles, and I was on YouTube and uh, looking around, and there's one guy, he's got a YouTube that says Engineering Explained, and he's got all these different things that you look at. This this YouTube was about turbocharging and the five things what you should not do. What were the five? Like, what were some know, of the five things? All right, uh, I'll, I'll go through them as best I can remember. Uh, wait until the engine fully warms up, not just after the the uh, coolant light comes up. You know, the temperature comes up, the oil's got to warm up too before you start. You know, accelerating fairly hard. Right. So Another we, thing so we, so we be, know nobody we know nobody's going to do that. What's the second one? Okay, I'm I'm saying what what he said now. Now now what people do are, is different. Right. Um, another thing would be, let's say you're in sixth gear and you're doing 50 miles an hour. You're not supposed to do full throttle acceleration because that loads up a lot of gas in the cylinders, and it has caused Ford, for example, uh, to uh, have some problems with their EcoBoost motors. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and they okay, and and there are. What's another one? I'm going to comment on the whole um, thing when you're done, Mike. Okay. Another another one is uh, uh, accelerating out of corners in uh, too too high of a gear. In other words, you're going 40 miles an hour and you tromp it going around the corner. Uh, it's the same effect as what I just said in my second point. 
Um, another thing would yeah, be but wait a minute. Hold on. Let's 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 stop there a second. Wait a minute. If it's an automatic, yeah. if it's an automatic vehicle, as most of the turbos are, I don't think you have a choice what gear you come out of the corner in. That's all going to be based on load, speed, and computer control. So I don't think that's well, he, a valid. He was speak. This guy was speaking specifically of a stick. Okay, but isn't that common okay, sense um, though? You can't lug a stick car. I mean, you're talking about you know lugging a stick, and you know, and I understand. And and you know, the, the second part of that is. I'd really, and it would be an interesting point. What is the ratio of manual transmission vehicles that are turbocharged versus automatic? For that matter, what's the ratio of manual transmission cars versus automatic anymore? Uh, you that know, are sold, even. Right, that are sold. There are so few manual transmission cars that we see in the shop anymore. I cannot remember the last clutch I did on a customer's car. That's wow. how long it's been. And you know how you know and, how good and the my last two is. things. Yeah, go ahead. The last two things he brought up were oil changes, and you make sure that you do them with the proper oil and at the right interval. And the other thing, the last thing he brought up was the grade of gasoline that you use, because now that they're taking detergents out of the gasoline, um, these GDI engines are getting very carboned up more quickly, and there's only certain ways they have to be cleaned. Yep. And that's that is a true statement that I agree with. The the GDI engines are creating a bunch of issues and have been for quite some time. I I think what the turbocharger represents to the American public, to the motoring public, Mike, and for everyone else out there, I think the GD I think the turbocharged engine is is really a maintenance sign. I think it's a symbol that we're going to get back to having to do maintenance. We're going to be right on the ragged edge otherwise in terms of maintaining and taking care of cars and getting them to go the distance. My daughter's 2014 Escape turbocharged 2-liter GDI motor, changing the oil every 3 to 5, and it sure comes out black and beat up. And it's a concern I've got. I wonder about the longevity of the vehicle. Here we are at 50,000, and I'm still watching. So all good points, Mike. I appreciate the conversation as always. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. I can still feel you touching me, Peg. Hello and welcome, Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor. Boy, boy, does that bring back some memories, right? You can just see him sitting on the couch. I can still feel you touching me, Peg. Leave me alone. <laughs> Ron and Amy, the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Cardoctorshow.com podcast. Please help me. Let's go over and talk to Calvin with an 04 Dodge Ram and some questions about exhaust manifold gaskets. Calvin, save me. Welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. Hey, Ron, what's up? What's going on? Hey, so I had a repair done in my Dodge over the summertime. Okay. I could have done it myself, but uh, I didn't think I had the capable garage to do it. So okay. anyways, I hired a guy to do it, um, 2004 Dodge 1500, to do the rear um, exhaust manifold gasket. It rotted away the bolts. It rotted away the gaskets um, to the point where it was chugging along. Gotcha. Um, you're, you're the guy talk, did the repair. You're, you're, Calvin, you're talking. Excuse me. I'm sorry. You're, you're talking about the flange gasket where the gasket sits against the head, or you're talking about in the pipe. The head. Okay. At the, yeah, head. the the head. Yeah. Okay. On both he did both sides, and I went on the internet and I looked. The Dodge dealership would would have been a couple grand, and it didn't look like a hard job. It just time expensive, and you know, getting the bolts out in one piece. Right. Um. 
So I was afraid that I'd snap a few. So I had the guy do it. Took him a couple days to do it. Um, but I noticed when I went to pick it up, a uh, piece of the gasket had been cut off the backside. Um, and he used the gasket, uh, the blue one, the blue seal, uh, the ultra blue. Like a um, like a like, like a Felpro gasket of some kind. That's the only yeah, one. Yeah, perm, Permatex. Permatex, right? Yeah. Okay. It's only got like a 500 uh, degree um, heat he, resistance to it. And I told him I provided him with the Ultra Copper, which had a higher heat resistance. I think it was up to seven or eight hundred degrees. Yeah, I don't think five hundred is enough. Yeah. Um, and I told him that this is going to cause it to prematurely, you know, burn up and. Um, you know, basically the whole job had been done, it meant nothing because it's just going to wear away. You know, that's the weak point in the chain. So, right. and I was wondering, I've never heard or seen any of this, but the guy, he, you know, put his foot down and he was confident and he said he's been doing this for years and, you know, he's started in all his stock cars and he's never had a problem with his stock cars when he did this, but, you know, stock cars only run for 10 seconds at a time, whereas me, I'll be running down the highway. Well, here's, um, and, you know, and here's the difference though. The stock car is moving at speed usually, and the the length of dur. See, I don't think that's a valid measurement on his part, because the stock mm-hmm. car engine it goes round and round on Saturday night or whatever it is, and then how many times in the course of the season does that engine come apart? And does he reuse those gaskets or does he replace those gaskets? So it's right. it's it's totally different than a passenger car vehicle or you know a, a truck, but you're using it obviously every day. And, you know, sitting in traffic in July heat and overheating in the summer and running hot and trips to the resort areas and things like that. I don't think that's a fair comparison. Has, has the gasket failed yet? Well, the other day, because it's been cold out, this had been done during the summertime when it was warm. And um, I thought I heard it. Uh, and there was snow on the ground. We just had that big chunk of snow that we had. And, um, but I'm going to take a look at it this weekend. Uh, to take a look at it and start it up to see if it's starting to leak through, but that's less than a year. He wanted his work. He's like, oh, it'll last just six months, but six months from May, that's still fall time. So. Well, let's let's try it like this, all right? And you know what? I, I see it from his side. Listen, so there's there's one thing I know about garage mechanics. They're, they can be hard-headed at times. I'm like that mm-hmm. myself at, at certain moments, and I know it's one of my faults. But, you know, can we find out exactly what he used and, you know, find out the brand and then call their customer support hotline and say, hey, I've got this truck. Somebody used these gaskets to replace it. Is that the correct application? If we well, can get the other thing, too, Ron, was I provided them with Mopar gaskets. I provided them with everything, Mopar gaskets. Even I even provided a, a tube of the Ultra Copper. So, and that's the thing, is I provided everything, bolts, studs, you name it. And he didn't use it? No, he didn't use the Ultra Copper. He used the gasket, but he cut the rear one off, like the rear gasket section. I don't know if that made it easier to install or easier to pop on. Did he? So he used your gaskets or he didn't? He did use my gasket, but on the rear one, on both sides, he made his own with the blue, um, Ultra Blue. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, so, all right, now I'm kind of getting this picture. So, in other words, if I were to look at this motor, I'd see three ports are using the Mopar gasket and one yep. port's using blue. Why would you do that? I don't know. What, what, why, you know, what was he short? And, you know, now I'm just going to, we're just, we're not on radio here, Calvin. We're just two guys sitting down having a conversation. 
what what mm-hmm. what corner was he trying to cut? What made his life easier? Why would you do that? I I don't know. That's why I mean I provided not just some knockoff stuff, but I actually went to the Dodge dealership and got their gaskets that they use when they do this repair. Well, you know, here's the here's here's the catch-all. All right, um, you know, if the gasket fails. Now you got to go back and have an uncomfortable conversation with this guy about why his work after all these years of him doing stock car racing um, didn't work because you got to get it redone. Mm-hmm. Of course, the argument could be made that, you know, anybody can go stock car racing. If he's been doing it for years, how many races has he run? You know, how successful is he? And that's a whole other, you know, I know a lot of dopes that are stock car racing, and I look at him and laugh. Um, you know, that's a whole other conversation. So that, I mean, I noticed this right off the bat too. I saw it on the floor, and I said, "Is this from the gasket?" He looked at me puzzled, and he said, "Yeah, I guess it is." Yeah, I don't. So, I, I mean, don't I, I picked up on that right away, and you, you know, know just, here's the here's 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 the perspective in a nutshell. Okay, you said it right when we started this conversation. You hired this guy, all right. I don't care whether you hired him to do exhaust manifold gaskets, paint your house, or put a roof on it. All right. You hired somebody to do a job. You gave specific instructions and requests. You didn't ask the guy to do something wrong. Um, if he agreed to use your parts, which that's a whole separate conversation. I won't have that one here. All right. Mm-hmm. But if he agreed to use your parts, then he should have done as you requested because you hired him. And that's basically, you know, that's basically what a repair order is. It is a short-term contract between myself and and the customer to repair their vehicle, all right? And if the customer gives me specific instructions, I write them down. This is what I'm going to do. Now, I may write them down and say, hey, I'm going to use Calvin's exhaust manifold gaskets, and I guarantee it against workmanship, but I don't guarantee it against the gasket failing, mm-hmm. all right? And Calvin has to sit there and accept that or take it somewhere else because he's got to realize the implications. What I don't understand is why he did three with a Mopar part and the fourth using something else that may be substandard. I think, obviously, I would be definitely be paying attention to see if it's leaking, but I would also find out the exact manufacturer of that gasket, give them a call, and ask them, you know, what is the heat range on this? Is this correct for this application? And see what yeah, they no, have I already to say. Looked up, he had the tube. He showed me the tube and everything. I looked it up. It's got a 500 degree uh, max temperature. Okay. And it's, and so wait a minute. He put silicone on, not a gasket. The gasket maker. He used silicon gasket maker. Yeah. Not not a physical gasket. Oh, for that rear section, he made his own gasket for that little section in the back when he cut it off. But isn't the front half of it, boy, oh, boy, isn't the front half of it, a, 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 a for lack of a better term, a paper gasket, a cardboard gasket? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's the Mopar gasket, yes. Why would you do that? I don't know. <clears throat> so you're telling me he used, he used silicon gasket maker for the rear yeah. two ports? Yep, even though the gasket was complete and he cut those on both sides. And I wouldn't have paid for the job. Gasket. I wouldn't have paid for the job. It's poor workmanship. Uh, well, I provided parts and everything. He wanted about seven hundred dollars, which, on the, you know, it's not that bad. Um, providing parts and stuff, but afterwards he agreed on four fifty. Okay. What'd you learn from this? I do it myself. <laughs> well, or, you know, um, 
you know, somewhere along the way, you're going to have to have a relationship with a mechanic. You got to find the mechanic. They're out there. Yeah, they're, you know? yeah, they're hard to come by. They're 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 out there. Believe me. Um, you know, it's because you you sound like you're young enough. I'm not no cracks, but you know, you're going to be around a while driving. I hope, and you're going to have to get something fixed by somebody. You've got to have a relationship with a mechanic, and I think that relationship with a mechanic is so paramount at this point in in in, in the auto industry. It's to the point now where a new customer calls the shop. I ask them, why are you here and how did you find us? Because I'm leery myself. I'm leery like you're leery. You're leery of who you're going to, and I'm leery of who's coming in because there's there's such an issue with competency and mechanics and what customers expect. Um, I, you know, I'm sorry it happened to you, Calvin. I, I agree. I know where you're coming from. I think the guy's wrong. I It sounds like a Rube Goldberg of a repair. I don't know why he would do it that way. Um, I really can't think of a reason. If you've got the manifold off, just put a gasket in it. Uh, you know, I don't see this as an issue. I think it's poor judgment on his part, and I think he did the job wrong. I would probably, if you paid for it, did you pay for it by cash or with a credit card? Cash. Okay. Lesson learned, kiddo. I got to go. The clock's going to take me. All right? But um, I wish you well, and I appreciate you being there as part of the audience. I hope you uh, I hope you got something out of this. And uh my condolences. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie, The Car Doctor. We are coming back right after this. back. Ron Anini, the car doctor, rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. And by the way, coming up in the next couple of weeks, I'm not sure when, we are going to be giving away an AccuSpray one-spray gun system with the uh, paint preparation system from 3M. That's um, something so that you can uh, get involved with, start doing some body work at home. You never know. Uh, might be a rough winter. We have to start painting cars in the garage. But more importantly, it is a new type of system that 3M has developed. It's a uh, new to market, and we're proud to be able to say that we're going to be giving one away and highlighting it in an upcoming interview. We're going to be talking about it um, in a very short period of time, so stick around for that, and that's in the next couple of weeks. Right now, let's get over and talk to Nick in Long Island with a question about a 2010 Jeep Compass. Nick, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? Nick? 2010 Jeep Compass. Yes, sir. And I've had it for about three years now. Uh, The first year, the heat worked perfectly, completely fine. Uh, the last couple of years, the heat really hasn't done anything other than blow lukewarm air at best. So I'm trying to tackle it now, trying to see if I could find out if it's anything other than the heater core, and I have to pull the dash apart. So uh, what I've done is I have replaced the thermostats okay. uh, in the vehicle. I was told I brought it to a shop, and they thought that's what it was. Um, so I wound up doing that uh, on my own. Uh I flushed the cooling system. It looks like the core, you know, water's flowing through it just fine. Um, so after we did the thermostats and flushed it, you know, put it all back together, uh, put new coolant in it, tried to burp the vehicle, uh, you know, jack the front up, make sure there was no air pockets or anything like that. Um, I've felt the heater core hoses top and bottom, and they're both hot to me. Uh, they both seem hot. Um, 
but nothing has remedied it. Okay. It's uh, it's still blowing lukewarm, and I'm not quite sure where to go from here. Okay. So let me ask you, Nick, do you have any kind of a scan tool? Uh, yeah. yeah does, do. does, it, does it read data stream? Uh, that I can't tell you. I know I can pull engine codes from it, okay. but I don't know if I don't think it reads a data stream. No, no check engine light on, right? No, no, no check engine light right now. Okay. So, you know, here's a case where having a scan tool that reads data stream pays off. All right. Okay. Um, I don't think this is a thermostat. And I don't think I would have gone for a thermostat for the simple reason that OBD2 would have set a fault code of P0126 or 28 showing that engine okay. temperature rise time isn't fast enough and it becomes uh, an issue, all right? And and that's mm-hmm. not that's not a given every time, but it's just something to be aware of. So okay. what I'd like to see is if you could take a scan tool, hook it up, and just look at OBD2. Tell you the truth, I look at OBD2, if I look at 10 cars a week with check engine lights, eight or nine times out of 10, I don't even look at manufacturer-specific information. I just go right to OBD2 and I read everything from there. Because it's, okay. it's it's more consistent. The nice thing, I'll tell you what, stick around. Let me pull over and take this pause, and we'll, we'll finish this up when I return. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie, The Car Doctor, coming back right after this. Ron and Annie, the car doctor. Nick, you're still there, sir. Yes, I am. Okay. So one of the nice things about OBD2, and for those of you just tuning in, we're talking to Nick with a 2010 Compass about OBD2 and scan tools and heat. Um, One of the nice things about OBD2 is it's consistent. Every car reads the same. I can hook a scanner up and go into OBD2 technology on a Toyota, a Ford, a Honda, a Chrysler, anything. It's all going to read the same. An oxygen sensor is always an oxygen sensor. Fuel trim is always fuel trim and so on. I hook up to a Ford, Ford's going to call an oxygen sensor something different than Toyota, than Honda calls it, than Chrysler calls it. It's it's all different terminology, manufacturer-specific. You're still looking at the same data, and you're looking at a whole bunch more, but you may be looking at more than you need, and it gets very confusing. You have to be well-versed in every manufacturer's line in order to be able to interpret it. That's why sometimes you'll hook up a scan tool to a car, and you'll be looking for fuel trim. I don't think Chrysler calls fuel fuel trim long-term or short-term fuel trim. They've got another name for it. It's been so long since I've looked at it, I don't even remember it anymore. I'd have to go back and read the books. So always look at OBD2. That being said, all right, I'd like to see what a scanner reports as far as engine temp. I don't think this is a thermostat issue either, but I'd just like to be sure, all right? This time of year, you know, you're going to find upper radiator hose is going to be warm, not almost but quite to the touch where it's uncomfortable to hang on to with a bare hand. That's a good indicator. Where I think your problem is, what I would be looking for from your description, I would back flush the heater cord directly. I would set up a set of heater hoses, go to the hardware store, buy a you know a screw-on hose end so you can hook the water hose directly to it, put the other end of a hose into a bucket, flush it one way, flush it the other. Don't use a lot of water pressure. Put some kind of a regulator valve on that hose to limit pressure and gently flush it and see what comes out of the core. And I bet that solves the problem. I'm on an in the car, doctor. <laughs> 